If you're interested in having sessions or certification training, go to pastlifeawakeninginstitute.com for details. Thanks for watching and enjoy this episode. This is Dr. Stacey Lauro, MD. She's a board certified neuropsychiatrist and a trained psychoanalyst and spiritual coach in Tampa, Florida. She got her doctor of medicine from Emory University and she's worked with psychotic disorders, personality disorders, uh, addiction and substance abuse in hospitals. And now she works more with spiritual awakening, ascension and spiritual healing. You can find her at oracle-md.com, links in the description, on Facebook at OracleMD by Dr. Stacy. And uh, you can see about her in her Psychology Today listing. So, uh, so did I get all of that right? But if you've got an interesting background, you've got there anything else you'd add to your, your some of your bio or what you're about? I think that pretty much sums it up. Yes. Okay. On your website, part of the way you define yourself is where science meets spirit. So I'm interested to find out how a person with a lot of that scientific training uh, went into the spiritual uh, aspect of things. So can you tell us a bit about your initial background and training in psychiatry? Yes. So I was trained, of course, traditionally, um, mostly giving medications to people. Along my training, I found that I, that the, to me, what helped people the most really was the relationship that you had with them and the care that you were providing for them and the interest that you took in them. And that I did not find that the medications long-term were very helpful because of course people have real life issues going on that are affecting their feelings. Um, and so how they perceive their feelings, what they do with their feelings, uh, how they cope with stressors is really the core of the issue. And medications maybe can help you, you know, a little bit or temporarily. And, and there's a huge placebo effect, as we know, from most uh, psychiatric medications, especially in the... Um, high functioning populations. And so I was sort of disillusioned with that aspect of psychiatry. From there, I went on to study psychoanalysis and added that to my practice. And that's really dealing with people's subconscious patterns, beliefs, uh, and coping skills, interpersonal relationships. Um, and that, um, that to me was more helpful to people. However, it still took quite a while uh, for people to improve. And so here again, I was still somewhat disillusioned and I went through my own sort of difficulties. And I think through that and through some of the things that have happened to me, it led me to a spiritual path. You mentioned uh, the high functioning population. So I'm curious about the kind of clients and issues that psychiatrists work with. So you can have psychotic disorders and I'd imagine medication is pretty essential. So how would you sort of break distinguish between uh, some of those, those groups? So, yeah, so the high functioning people would be um, people that are working, maintaining some modicum of, you know, social relationships, uh, able to function in the outside world. 
um, in family and social settings and at work, but they deal with depression, anxiety, and other related illnesses. Um, you know, again, not to the extent of someone who's very psychotic and not able to function at all. That's, that's not necessarily the population I'm referring to. Right. Um, so did you, as a, in your active life working in hospitals and, uh, did you uh, specialize or see one type of uh, client more than the other? So I, before I worked in hospitals, that was more recently, most of my career was spent in outpatient. Okay. Um, I had, I spent time in mental health clinics initially, and then my own private practice for probably 10 years. Okay. So what was the key source then of disillusionment? Because I imagine there are some people where you know, they need the medication, you prescribe it to them and, and that helps them through it. Where, where did the dis disillusionment well, come in? They, you know, at some point would come back and say, you know, the medication's really not working anymore. And we tell them, well, there's a poop out effect is what it's called, poop out effect of the medication okay. and uh, requiring, you know, shifting medications. But I really wondered if it was due to the fact that you weren't really dealing with, working with their core issues, their coping skills, their attitudes, their beliefs, their... Yeah. Uh, well, my, my view on that kind of medication was it's a short-term solution to a short-term problem. That short-term problem is a real sort of a neurological crisis, a real difficulty in coping with life that you are then at risk of harming yourself and others. So you get Medicaid in order for that stop, to stop being a risk. But the long-term solution has to be integrating and, uh, and, uh, and growing as a person. And medication has a job to fulfill on one time frame, yes. but not on another one. So it's a, yes. it's a short-term solution, but it can't really be something you do for your entire life. That's an, exactly. An, and, and I would tell people, I would say, you know, this is my outlook on medication and sum up what you beautifully said just now um, and say, you know, so uh, while it can change brain chemistry to an extent and help you in the short term, it, I recognize, and I don't want to minimize the problems that you're bringing to me, like you loss of a loved one or difficulty with relationship with your spouse or in parenting your children or with your family or social settings. Um, that's much, not going to take that away. Yeah. So in terms of this illusionment, like how much is that insight understood by psychiatry and how much is there? And there can be a little cynicism towards psychiatry. People may think, you know, big pharma has a vested interest in continuing to medicate people. And they know that, but they just uh, want to pretend that that's not the case to make money. And so uh, do you think that's something that, which is a pretty cynical uh, approach if it's true, or even a cynical judgmental perspective if it's not? So do you, do, what do you see in, in, the, in, the, by, in the profession? Uh, do, you, do you think there are elements of that or not? I guess to an extent, I really feel that we are trained a certain way and we have the intention of helping people. I mean, I see my other colleagues, they trained long time, spent a lot of money in training, care, take call. They're there for their patients. You can see that they care, but it's how we're trained to treat them and we don't know another way. And so that's the path we take. And um, I, you know, it, it takes some 
looking at yourself and looking at results and being honest about it and questioning things and being open to really say, maybe there's a better way. And I think patients too, they're trained that this is, this is all we have. And this is, this is considered to be working when you have a response to the medication and then it poops out and then we change it. And that's what they know too. That's what they're trained into thinking. Right. And imagine in a lot of cases, the clients would le might lead the therapist and going in and the, the psychiatrist might say, you know, we need to work on the, the holistic understanding of how to be a better person in the world. And that's going to take a lot of work and application. They're like, well, I'd rather just have the pill. Thanks. Right. Yes. That'd be, right. That's true because that's much easier for them too. So that's a wish that they have as well. Yeah. So then the disillusionment process. So you're you're in the you're in the field for 25 years, I believe, but something like that. So, yeah, uh, I've been in the field for 25 years. Yeah. Okay. So how was the what what were the first seeds of disillusionment? And and how did it progress? And how have you and then you also mentioned that there was uh, an awakening process for you. So yes. so when did when did that kick in? At, at what stage of your life? So it's hard to pinpoint exactly the seeds of disillusionment. I think it just kind of kept building and I kept observing and I kept opening through my career and expanding my awareness. I had an experience in 2012 uh, in which my kids were both really sick, one right after the other with a GI, a gastrointestinal viral illness. And I stayed up probably 48 hours straight taking care of them and I hadn't slept. And I fell asleep and I had a dream in which the experience is indescribable, much like people describe when they cross over, like a near-death experience. And it felt like just unbelievable love, just filled, filled, filled me and beautiful light. And it was the voice of, of what was supposedly a uh, source God, goddess, whatever you would want to refer to it, yep. saying to me that your purpose, your true purpose as a psychiatrist or a psychologist in the in the field of mental Ill illness and mental help is to teach people that we're all one and that we affect each other and everything we do affects each other and the law of love that... Um, we, when we come from love, it's very healing and that your job is to teach people that. Okay. So when you had that experience, did you then communicate it to people? Uh, and, <laughs> and, and how do yes. you, how, how do you then go back to work in the real, in the scientific mold or do you sort of keep it quiet and keep it to yourself? So Yes. Yeah, so I think in my heart, I had always had an affinity to a spiritual, soulful, there is a source outlook, but I'm immersed in this world of, like you said, science and also a background of my mother was a Jehovah's Witness. And although I did not ascribe to that religion, um, it just didn't fit with religious backgrounds that I had grown up with or, or, you know, Judaism, my, my ex is, is Jewish. It just didn't. So people around me 
just thought I was crazy. You know, just that's, that's crazy. That's a, that's just a dream. And it felt very real to me. I really was uplifted during that dream. And okay. like I said, an indescribable way. So by people, do you mean your family or did you also tell professional friend, uh, colleagues? Uh, I told my family, I told my ex and I told his best friend who is also a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst. Okay. But you, yes. you, did you keep it under wraps a little? It, it didn't, did you then go back into the office and start talking about we're all one, that there isn't, you know, time is an illusion, uh, <laughs> I, 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 identity is a construct uh, and all of the, all of the mystic things or, uh, and, and. No, it, 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 it was a slow, slow process for me. No, I, I zipped my lip after that and thought, yeah, that's probably silly. And I did not do that, but that was the beginning of my awakening. And looking back, I feel like that's when the stuff hit the fan for me in my life, things changed dramatically. And it was a test because I think formally I had come from uh, just psychologically, uh, personally feeling that people are doing the best that they can and it's better to come from a loving position and, you know, every people that are labeled as bad have, have gone through hard things and they just need help and, and forgiveness and love you know, if they accept it. Yeah. And um, I think the universe said to me, well, let's really see if you live by that. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I went through some things to really test that. Okay. And so like what like personal uh, changes in personal life circumstances, that kind of thing? Yes, exactly. So I went through a very difficult divorce and, um, you know, during divorce, my, uh, we, my ex and I, of course, we weren't getting along and, uh, I had, I went to a counselor, the lawyers, they all wanted me to fight. They were all labeling him as, you know, a narcissist or a psychopath. And I was a mess at the time. So I was looking externally for, for help. And I wasn't internal and in following my true thoughts and feelings. And so I started to get into that. And I started, whereas before I usually had been very calm and fight and able to walk away. And, um, I, 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 you know, went into name calling, um, just things of that nature and fighting and standing my ground. And, yeah. um, and, um, it was, it was, it was difficult. And so, what I learned from that, my life went downhill doing that. And that's sort of how I came to these conclusions is um, I really, uh, I lost part, part time with my kids. I had been really the one who stayed home with them and cared for them. And they were my whole life and purpose originally. And so it was really a shock to me. And I didn't understand how that could happen. And looking back, knowing what I know now, um, I feel that um, that attitude of not living from my heart, not living from a position of love really brought this negativity into my life and showed me 
very clearly that yes, the the true way you were thinking about before is what you need to hold to regard to regardless of what other people are doing and saying. And yeah. it confirmed for me that that's who I am. That's how I need to act and react and be. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, I One of the things I wanted to get to was the kind of issues you work on with your clients. And, you know, just as we're saying, sometimes people want to have the medication and the pill. They don't want to deal with things. And so, and that's the, you know, the uh, maybe a, you know, the pharmaceutical model. But then from a psychological point of view, there's a diagnostic component where we love to break things into small pieces, label them and and stick it on and and stick with that and it can become a limiting belief it can come it can come a way of perceiving it but it is at odds with the mystical solution which is the law of love and we are all one nowhere in the law of love and we're all one is there diagnostic definitions of <laughs> some people being i'm i'm a nice saint and they're a narcissist right you know? yes and exactly it, it, and, and, and I and, became part of that world. I became somebody that people came to. And and I said, oh, that's it sounds like your partner's a narcissist. And I could tell you all about but, it. And But here's, yeah. the, here's the really troubling thing for me, which is people on, in the same breath can say, well, I'm an empath and I believe the law of love. And he's an asshole, a narcissist. Yes, and they, they right, exactly. And, the same breath. You've just contradicted yes. yourself, but they haven't realized it. And so as I was saying this, you're yes. laughing. But a lot of people are really straight faced about I'm loving, they're not, yes. they're evil. I'm, I'm laughing at myself because I was one of those. So okay. Okay. yeah. <laughs> well, well, well I'll, I'll put my hand up as well. I think every human is susceptible to this. And I think, and this is one of the tricks on how, how do you have a dream like that in which you have a, you know, a, a unified conscious experience of consciousness and then go back into the world. And so it's like, you know, there's, there are stories of guys who meditate for 30 years in a cave and experience egolessness. They walk down from the cave and in the first 10 minutes, someone bumps them in the market and they're like, don't you know who I am? You know, <laughs> right, and it, right, right. Pe people's uh, transcendent realizations can evaporate real quick in real life situations. And if you're in a stressful one where you've been, you know, I've had a lot of, it takes a long time before people finally get divorced. So there's a lot of hurt, a lot of stress, a lot of sleeplessness, and all of that comes together and you get a cluster of, I'm not, you know, feeling universal, uh, law of love, we're all one. He's attacking me, trying to get my stuff and, yes. uh, and, and my kids and, and all this stuff. So then it gets pretty real, pretty quick again. So, yes. so I was gonna, I was, uh, just want to come back to when you did tell your friend who happened to be in the psychiatric uh, community, what kind of response did he have when you start coming up with some of the mystical things as well? And, and, and told just, me, sorry. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Well, and, and then just in general, how does the, uh, so you're a psychiatrist speaking spiritually and just like, what is the overall perception of the spiritual dimension in psychiatry? Obviously they're not teaching in the schools or anything, but I think behind closed doors, a lot of psychiatrists and scientists are a lot more spiritual than they may let on and, and actually go and say. So, so yeah. this particular person said that I was crazy and told my ex that I was crazy. Wow. So yeah, it, that was pretty hard. Did that? Did they say exactly crazy? Was there any other yes, type like he, uh, like neurotic, uh, delusional, grandeur? Any you know something a little bit he, more technical instead of not? She's a little. You know, I it. think his they were best friends. I think they he didn't even bother to. Okay. You know, be that polite about it. I guess. All right. Uh, yeah. He uh, just said she's she's crazy. Okay. And, uh, 
Yeah. Well, is that the prevailing opinion in psychiatry these days when people start talking about the mystical perception perspective on life? Prevailing? I think yes. I think there are psychiatrists uh, that are very spiritual. I think prevailing, it's it's not that way. It's it's very medical and you're considered really out there okay. with these views. Yeah, I think there are three ways. One can be I'm not that spiritual. Uh, the other one can be, I am, am quite spiritual. I just don't talk about it. And there can be a big bunch of people who are sort of not too concerned either way. But is right. there, is there a, a, any like strong, like that the level of animosity, like it's crazy to do that. And, and therefore one become, become fearful of it. Or some people are like, well, some people have that opinion, religion and psychiatry aren't quite the same thing. And, you know, let them have their beliefs. I don't really care as long as they're doing a good, good job in their science. Yeah, so that's a great question. And my perception of it, and I don't know the statistics on it, that the psychiatrists sort of are more, that that I know are in the camp of, you know, that's your own personal belief, that's fine, as long as you're doing okay with the science. I run into more of the opposite, where a spiritual person will be very, have a lot of animosity towards physicians. Right. And, you know, I don't, I think that there is a place for, physicians and again i think that they're coming from their heart and meaning well so yeah yeah i th i think the issue the key issues is where people step over bounds so i think if spiritual yes. people start trying to dictate and trying to do the take the place of a psychiatrist when it really it's a psychiatric issue it's not a spiritual subconscious one but i think that it can work the other way if psychiatrists are absolutely dismissive of the spiritual and think everything can be dealt with neurologically and so I think, and yes. so yeah, I think either one of those is uh, stepping on each other's toes or going into a realm which they're not in. But that, that you know, doctors traditionally, I think, can call uh, that animosity can be triggered a little bit if doctor wants to play God and, yes. and, and know everything about everything. But the irony, and I've is, seen uh, spiritual people oh, exactly. The irony is, spiritual people are probably even worse than doctors in terms of <laughs> what, wanting to play God and, and know everything. You know, yes. but, but either way, the, the irony becomes they they basically uh, are both exhibiting the same pattern. So they're the yes. ones that bash heads the most, but they're also because they're so similar, not because yes. they're so they think they're so different, but they're really just so similar. That's the issue. Right on point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and well, and so then uh, the other part is I even uh, you know we you talked about like what does then psychiatry do? As I think another like historically. Uh, people would look up to doctors as gods because the general population was pretty badly educated and 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 doctors were by far the most intelligent, best educated people around. So we could then look up to them and take pretty much everything they said. And that would actually help us. The power of suggestion that an authority figure. So doctors become hypnotists if you if they have that authority and their statements. So the placebo effect and and the power of if they do sit down and talk to somebody and say, you've got to stop smoking. They said, well, the doctor said I have to stop, so I just stopped. Well, then they're, they're doing great hypnosis work and using the power of suggestion positively. Uh, but one of the issues comes where if the, the popul general population becomes more sophisticated and the issues become more uh, subtle and more uh, like uh, more spiritually orientated or ones in which it's not so simple just to change a physical habit, you do have to move much more towards a subtle spiritual self-actualization. And if that is at more at the core of your presenting or 
core root issue, then that's something that that people need to take responsibility for themselves on. So what, yes. what do you, what do you think? Does that, does that match with your view or do you have another, what, what do you think? I, I think that's matches very well with my view. Yes, absolutely. I think people do need to take responsibility and hopefully learn and, and grow and not just use medication. Um, yeah. So one particular, so in the past Life Awakening Institute, the people that we looked to as uh, our role models and the people that helped develop this field were initially Milton Erickson, who's a psychiatrist and the father of modern hypnotherapy in the 1940s around then. And so like, uh, not a, you can't say, ref, uh, so that would have certainly positively influenced the perception of psychiatry and, and the conventional scientific world. Uh, and then Brian Weiss came along in the 80s in Florida, where you are as well, and was a psychiatrist and had his awakening experiences and moved into past life regression and was, you know, uh, and was and probably still is looked down upon by some psychiatrists and and uh, and appreciated uh, by others. So, and there is a rich history. Uh, in fact, you know, most people who write uh, books in this field uh, do have psychology uh, that kind of training uh, and. And, you know, there was a sense of, you know, really coming out as being a weirdo uh, back in the days. And, but I, sus I, I suspect you were still in a bit of a minority and are still a bit of a weirdo, but, uh, uh, but it's becoming a little bit more okay. So are you finding, what's your take on that and, and the, the role of psychiatrists in developing these fields and where it's at now? So, yes, I think, I do think I'm still in the minority. Um. But I do find that other psychiatrists, I guess, are more accepting of it. Um, I was recently interviewing for a job at the University of Florida, and I was very open and said, I'm you know, heading down more and more this spiritual path, and will I be able to incorporate that in the university? And you know, they honestly said no, but they very nice about it and interested in not uh, shaming or derogatory. Uh, I do think we have some ability to help, um, push the field forward because of our background knowledge, um, and knowing about subconscious processes and, uh, it, I mean the word sigh, right? The root of the word actually means soul, interestingly. So, yeah, maybe that's an indication where that's where we need to be headed. Um, a little secret code there uh, for us, um, but I think that right, we ancient, certainly... ancient, yeah, from the Greek ancient wisdom coming into play yes. a bit. Yes, yes, and uh, I, I think we can help push the field forward and and progress the field. I think the field is stuck, stagnant, in yeah. my personal opinion. I Okay, so they said like you can't, uh, you know, you, you can't necessarily incorporate that into your, your treatment in our work. But is that something where you could uh, have clients in your personal practice, and you're free yes. to do that? And and you're yes, not, absolutely. You know, so okay. so and, and that's not, what I ultimately determined is that I wasn't going to work at the University of Florida, and that was, you know, okay. a big leap for me. But um, yes, more and more doing this in my personal private practice. 
exactly. Okay. And and there are no um, embargoes or uh, uh, on, on that. You can be a board certified psychiatrist and do that and not have any regulatory or insurance or uh, over overseeing issues of, of any kind. Not that I know of. Not that I know of. In fact, I don't even know that I will need my license to that license to practice in you know hypnotherapy and spiritual practice right yeah you can i mean you can literally just then having another hat i go to yeah. the, the hospital with my doctor's hat and i come uh, in my own personal clinic i've got my hypnotherapy hat or whatever it is and so you're able then to change the way that you work to a degree thanks to that spiritual awakening experience that you had and so that was a, in a dream and what were there uh, subsequent uh, experiences that you had that gave you insights into, uh, you know, an ex more expansive version of yourself and who you are. So, for example, in the Past Life uh, Awakening Institute, we're interested in past lives. So, have you recalled past lives? And what was the process like for you to get glimpses of past lives and then to dig in deeper and find out about them? So, I had glimpses of a past life in Lemuria and, uh, you know, decided to received past life regression hypnotherapy. And so going through that process was really transformational for me. It really uh, confirmed that these messages that we receive and intuition and our, you know, hearing our own mind talk um, when you go into the subconscious and the superconscious and you, you see a more detailed version of what occurred and how it affected you and affects you today. And you're able to go in and change your look at that and, and apply it to today and change your, uh, I guess, limiting beliefs about maybe what, what had happened in the past, um, was just again just very inspirational and transformational for me right so i did ask the so. question but spoiler alert i do know because we have done you've done set we've done sessions together so i've taken you through some past lives and regressions yeah. and uh and so i believe some of the and one of the reasons for doing that is because you had glimpses of lemuria but uh, if i remember correctly you had felt uh, a sense of guilt uh, sadness because the glimpse that you had was you were attending a healing temple and then the the seas came in and the, the 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 town was being destroyed and at that time you weren't able to save or help people you were and and i think that was pretty much it it was like a photograph we did end up uh, playing it forward and getting more of the you know a fuller story but that was sort of your impression and actually how i also felt very uh very guilty that i had that i had caused some of the deaths of Lemuria in some way. I mean, it was probably a, a magical type of thinking, but actually, I, you know, I also remember there was speculation from, from other races that by trying to help people uh, ascend before they're ready, um, it actually promoted cracking in the, in the grid. Right. And so when did so, you get when did you get those first impressions? How long ago? Okay, so that was probably about 18 months ago or 15 months ago. Okay. I um I was 
listening to a YouTube video from a chance, somebody who channels Pleiadians and they mentioned Lemuria and I didn't know what Lemuria was at the time. And I looked it up and I found Manchasta and I made a spiritual journey to Manchasta the whole way there. I was crying. And my thought process was I'm finally going home now consciously in this life. I had no idea what I was talking about, but in my heart, I really felt that that was true. I was going home. And, um, so just from there, um, I think just little glimpses started to open up for me. Right. But then the, so you have the, you get a, it's, it is really like a photograph. And so you get some of the story, but then you've got confusion. Did I cause it or not? Uh, emotion. I'm guilty. Cause like, maybe I did sadness because it was a beautiful place and it's being destroyed and people are dying. And that okay. was kind of it. And then, and if, if I'm correct, that was pretty much it. And so when you came for sessions with me, you're like, you know, I've had glimpses and, and experiences that have been triggered and this is where I'm at with it. So you're, you're bringing, uh, you know, guilt, uh, confusion. Uh, and so then when we go into and uh, do a session, we had, a, we had our one session together and at the end of it, you're like, I'm done. <laughs> Like I, I normally <laughs> really recommend I don't really don't do one-off sessions and have a have a program of three. But at the end of it, what we ended up doing was getting a, a lot more narrative and a lot more clarity uh, in the mind and a lot more peace in the emotions. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, you know what happened in that session? Yeah. So the other reason I came was because those feelings of guilt and sadness and uncertainty and confusion also were affecting my practice today and i thought i had those same thoughts that is is that the wrong thing to do to to promote people in ascension um and i was feeling very stuck with that so in the session uh you know when we when i was in the session and i i saw that um I, I don't know if you want me to discuss how I first went back to my childhood and and the mouse and or well, well yeah, that's interesting yeah so just for people that are curious when I do past life regression I and and I when I do it and when I teach it I really recommend we regress people to this life before we get into the past life in fact what uh, Stacy's done as well is and the other thing that before going into Lemuria it's not it's not just, oh, I wonder if I was in Lemuria or not, or I think I was, let's find out. It's really because there is a present life effect that has causes in this life and a past life. So Lemuria is really step three, and the, the first two are like, why are we doing this anyway? Because it's really affecting, and it has everything to do with her life and 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 where she's at on, on the healer's journey and all of these things that we've been talking about up until now. So that's another key reason when I'm when you're doing a therapeutic version of past life regression, we really want it to connect to real life significant issues that are happening now. And yeah, and so then you're right, you, yeah, we can. And so before we got to the past life in Lemuria, we did regress to a scene in this life, which is often that often these are like just little snapshots that are parables that have a teaching story in it. So, so can you tell us what was the little story that you had? So I, I, was brought back to a period in time where I was around seven or eight and there was a mouse stuck on a trap in the garage it was glued to the trap. And I was very sad about it and, you know, was not happy and tried to 
get a little tool and peel him off, but his skin was really stuck and he was rip, ripping and I couldn't do it. And the mouse ended up dying. And I ended up talking to my parents about it and they promised they would never do it again. And they didn't. And I was proud of myself for trying. And I was accepting of the fact that, you know, I did the best that he could, but he had, he had died. And, um, you know, that's, that's all I could do is, is do the best that I could. So that gave me some uh, perspective of, you know, we, we only try to help these situations and, you know, we just, um, you know, what happens from there and how the person responds and what we can do is, you know, just, we have to accept that. Yeah. And so when I guided you into that place, it was go back to a time in the, in your past that's relevant to this issue. That can be a source of spiritual strength that can teach us a lesson or give us a feeling that's going to help us when we go to the past life uh, event. So that then becomes a really helpful resource and perspective and a clarity and a peace. And like, I've got the strength and ability to go through these sad moments, uh, at, but to be at peace with them, not to blame my parents, not to blame myself, not to blame woe is me, cruel world. Cruel world. But, uh, and, and maybe there, there'll be plenty of times when you would have felt guilty about stuff, you know, we all do, but this one was, I could have felt guilty and sad about it, but I didn't. I dealt with it with a lot of emotional maturity, even though I was seven years old. And so we're going to take that as a resource state and, and have that as a great precursor. So then when we do get into something we know, which is going to cause guilt and, and be difficult to, uh, to, to deal with, or had been difficult to deal with, but then with that as a pre, as an initial experience, makes it a lot easier to deal with what's coming up. So, so you, that when we did go into the scene that you had uh, had glimpses of, of being in the temple and maybe I can't help people, but then, so tell us, uh, but then we got more of the narrative. So remind us what, what was some of more of the narrative. So the narrative was, I was a daughter of a high priest of Lemuria, somebody who was well respected and look up to looked up to and a healer of Lemuria. And I was in training uh, healing uh, in the crystal temples using crystals um, to uh, help heal people and raise their vibration and and that while I was young early on in training uh, that's when the destruction of Lemuria occurred and um, I went back and I, I in, at that time while I was under or not under, but um, remembering these events, I felt the feelings very strongly of feeling just overwhelming sadness and shame and, and guilt and wondering if I had done something. But at the same time, I could see once I was in that perspective that it was really nothing I had done. And, um, and that I was new to training and trying my best and helping people. And people were very grateful. And that uh, after that, um, my my spirit went on, and we continue on, and the people who died, their spirits went on. Yeah, sorry, just and one of the things that also happened, if I uh, remember correctly, was that you were feeling like sadness and guilt while the whole world was crumbling around you, but what you weren't feeling is fear of my impending death or anger. And we found, and so I'm like curious, why is it one emotion, not another one? 
So it wasn't fear because as you were there and things were crumbling, a, a spaceship came in with your with your parents to say, yeah. you know, and then plucked you out. So you weren't yes. you weren't fearful because you were being saved. Right. And then and one of the observations was, you know, if I'm responsible for this, well, you just you're a kid. He's a boss, and uh, you know, and uh, so it was. It's just something that happened, and uh, and you, you, no one really had the power to stop it. Uh, but and but that was so. That's another reason for the guilt. It's a bit of survivor's guilt was in there because you did survive yes. and you did end up transcending. But yeah, you were then yes. you picked picked up by a ship there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So then. So sorry to interrupt. And what what and yes. what, what remembering the other the other things. So yeah. What happened after that? Uh, I think, like you said, I, I think um, the spaceship picked me up, and I went into just a period of of rest and recovering from the trauma. And from there, I think that's really all I needed to see is is that um, I wasn't to blame, and yeah, and I was certainly being helpful, and also that. Um, uh, you know, life continues on or. Yeah. So how did that then feed back into uh, the, the present life issue, uh, which had been uh, relating to your I, own I healing felt, practice? Yeah, I felt, I felt very unblocked and very confident. And I actually ended up uh, quitting my traditional job to do more of this full time, uh, which I had been putting off for a while. I couldn't make that step. And after that session, it was, there was really no other answer for me. Right. Uh, so it's yeah, clear. So that, yeah. So the residues of that past life guilt and the limiting belief that maybe me doing this kind of healing is detrimental. You realize that it wasn't and, and you relieve the guilt. So therefore you're, you're free to go and practice that kind of thing in this life. Uh, because yeah, that and that that's the the insight that that is now appropriate, and it's not even just an insight; it's something that you experientially feel and gives a lightness and a freedom, that kind of thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Okay, and so actually, while we're there, um, we did end up having, uh, and actually, it's un very unusual to do a one and done per sessions. So I did say. Um, you know, let's can you did say, oh, pretty much, I think we're done. We, 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 we can get out of school early. I was like, well, let's keep going to see what, see what else is happening. Uh, to, so integrating it can be part of it. And so we did have a, uh, an integrating session, but then a, a third and final session was, uh, recalling, uh, being a doctor once again. So you are in, you are in your sixties as a male in the, in the, like a cow town in the, in the West and maybe 150 years ago. So the, the, the Western, when the West was the West in the U.S. So, can you tell us a little bit about that past life and and uh, and what it signified and and represented for today? Yeah, so I was struggling with how to expand and continue down my spiritual path. So I now knew it's definitely the path I want to go go down. But how am I supposed to do that? Am I on the right track? Do I need to incorporate other? modalities. And so we decided to try a life between lives session. Right. And uh, during that session, I was re regressed back to a time where, as you said, found out I was a physician in a past life. 
And at first looking at the scene, it was kind of funny because I, I think I thought, I think I'm the doctor, but she's complaining about back pain. And I also have back pain. So there was a woman, you know, in her thirties that was married and she had pain, uh, sort of in her thoracic area of her back or mid back and complaining a lot about her husband, uh, and feeling controlled by him and just all sorts of marital complaints. And the stance back then, as I remembered it was, well, women are hysterical and this is physical. This is a physical complaint and you treat this with pain pills. And so I, I did think to myself, you know, this is stress related and there's, you know, some tension going on in her muscles. I don't, I don't know the words I would have used back then, but this is the, this is the pattern of my thinking, but I didn't say that because that's not what you said. That's not what people went free for. So I did give her pain pills and she became addicted and she came back for the pain pills and her husband wasn't happy. And right. So um, actually, sorry, if I can just, I think I recall part of the issue, like as the doctor, I think you realized a, a, a part of the cause of this is her relationship problems with her husband. Yes, and that exactly. I, could, I can give her pain pills, but I probably should give her some relationship counseling. But then the, the thought was the the husband is not going to be happy with me if I start talking about his marriage behind his back and getting involved with this. It'd be like, just give her the medicine and shut up. That's yes. kind of the, the, the vibe. It was a small town. And yes, he also was known in, in the town. And yes, exactly. But thank you for uh, for clarifying that. And, um, but eventually I did end up, uh, weaning her off of the pain medication and talking to her about the real issue. And it was actually very helpful to her. Um, but I, at the time of this scene, it was very far along in my career and the end of near the end of my life. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that's when we went into the past life scene of uh, my planning on what I was going to do in this life. And my plan was to uh, become a healer in such a way that would address the real issues and discuss people's emotions and relationships and how that affects their physical body today. What? Right. You could have been a GP just doing physical stuff day in, day out. You could have even been a psychiatrist with, with an emphasis on the pharmacological, but you really did go into the psychoanalysis. And so that was sort of that switch. I don't want to just be purely physical. I want to deal with uh, the, the mind and, and being able to talk it out with people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's been interesting to know how my life has progressed in medicine, because initially I was very interested in the GP work and the internal medicine work. But right in my residency, I would be talking to people and think, wow, you know, a lot of their issue is really emotional. They're not taking their medication and they're stressed out and they're not dealing with that. And this is causing, and that, and so I did one year of internal medicine and switched into psychiatry. Right. And then, but then as, as I've mentioned, even in psychiatry throughout my career, I've sort of, uh, learned yeah. and grown and seen that um, some of those solutions we have there are not geared towards 
um, working with existential areas and emotions and heart-based answers. Yeah. The love I, unity. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting. You had that and you had spent most of that career being really physically orientated, but wishing to switch into the more emotionally orientated and it took reincarnating and then have, you know, after that year, having that, that clicked in, like the, the, the realization you had as a 60 year old, 150 years ago, clicked in when you're in your twenties this year, this, this lifetime. Right. And, and now, you know, you've, you've got a lot of your career uh, under your belt and you're, but you're now thinking, well, I did do it this way. And it's, it's that one step further from ahead from the past life, but I want to take another step further and I want to start doing it in this life. And maybe that's a big thing on my next life. So you went from, you know, the medical to the psychiatric, psychiatric, now from the psychiatric to the spiritual. So yeah, really, uh, and, and a beautiful uh, way that that was reflected in your past lives and, you know, uh, two healing incarnations in Lemuria and in the old West in the States. Yeah. Very cool. So, it was, yeah, yes. Yeah. And so any highlights for you in going through that process and, uh, had you done actually, I don't think, had you done uh, a, a series of regression sessions up until then? I had not myself. No, I had not undergone regression. So wow. that was, again, it was just so powerful. And again, my experience in psychoanalysis and helping people is that it takes a long time and training some in hypnotherapy and then going through my own regression, you could really, I really experienced how you get the, uh, the conscious mind out of the way and, and you get right to it and you get right to the core of who you are and what you've been through. Um, so it's very, it's much more powerful. I think it's much more effective. Um, yeah, does rely on having the right people with the right abilities. But yes. sure, once you get the right people who are, who, are, who are able to do it, then yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I was very grateful. I mean, yes, because I think you need somebody that knows what they're doing definitely to lead you down that path. It is not easy, uh, you know, because I also observed what you were doing while we were doing it. And uh, you, you have to know. It's, yeah. You could never get there if you don't know what you're doing for sure. Yeah, that is, yeah, it's always a trick with well-trained people, uh, but it, it is so interesting, it still works. You know, you might think that could even be a barrier, and my analytical scientific mind's going to come in and analyze all this, I actually do this kind of stuff for a living, and you know, I'm just going to be watching it, and I'll just, it'll be like watching a, you know, a, that, that might take me out of it, but it doesn't. Uh, and yeah, so that's great, and it's also because, you know, your subconscious is really coming up with the goods, and you're allowing it to, and, and the, the whole setup enabled that. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the kind of clients that you work with and particularly, so there are some of the things and that really relates and it'd be interesting of a lot of, to a lot of the listeners, a lot of what you're talking about just now has been the kind of things on the healer's path, you know, those blocks that people have going from the scientific to the spiritual. So that's a really great case study of yours that'll apply to probably a lot of people listening. But what about when you're the therapist and you're working with clients, what are you seeing these days? Um, now I talked about an increasing subtlety in issues and self-actualization and and then the and, and then there's but then there's also talk of a mental health crisis you know uh, people you know from covid from the world's become a you know historically in the you know a more dangerous place to live in recently depression anxiety despair 
What are the kind of things that you're seeing in the in the uh, with, with the clients that are coming to you? So I do see a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of uh, maybe unexplained, not quite diagnosed, uncertain of what it is, medical complaints. And I, people are coming as we all were trained to do from a very traditional perspective. And I found what's very transformational for people, uh, as a, as a first step is learning about vibrational healing and how, um, we're all particles that are vibrating and that these emotions that we have have vibrational frequencies and so when you're living in despair and depression and sadness and anger and uh duality it's really lowering your vibration and making you even more susceptible to depression and and sickness and feeling feeling terribly and that if we can raise our vibration to frequencies of love and oneness and um, peace and harmony, it really actually heals the body and the mind. Um, so that's probably the biggest first step that I take with my clients. And I've seen a lot of transformation for people in that way. And it's really awakened them too, where now they're on a spiritual path and some of them are learning um, new trades you know they got into singing bowls and they're opening up a singing bowl practice or um some other type of spiritual healing okay. so yeah I, I noticed on the psychology today that's that's it isn't it this psychology yes. yeah psychologytoday.com website you've got your listing as a psychiatrist but you also have a, a group there cosmic citizens a group for healing and co-creation performing meditations, volunteer activities, sound bowl energy healings, angel healings, tarot, mediumship and channeling, art lessons and poetry. So is that yes. is that the kind of things that you're uh, bringing in? Yes. Yeah, so that's again to help people expand their awareness and their own abilities. And so my idea is that um, people are their best pet healers. They are not usually aware of their own ability and connection to their higher self, to their spirit. And these are ways that, you know, they can try out and they can, they can find some of their own uh, talents and ways to heal themselves and heal other people. And okay. Sort of join the revolution. Okay. Be a cosmic citizen. Cool. Okay. And so and when you're talking about energy there as well, are there any specific techniques that you, that are real go-to's? Yeah, so um, I think a lot of people are very attracted to Reiki, although I don't necessarily think you have to call it that. I think you can learn to direct energy um, from higher sources and with the intention of your heart to help heal yourself and to heal others. And and I think teaching people meditation about the the healing pyramid of light and the column of light coming into into them and healing themselves and, um, uh, and sending out love and light to humanity is actually very healing for themselves and for humanity. 
So those are the types of things I mean by energy. And I do a lot of work with angels too, depending on how people feel about that. Some people are not interested in that. Sure. Okay. And so that you're doing like guided meditations with people, that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. And teaching them how to do meditations. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, I also noticed on your website, uh, you're a master Metatron diamond light priestess and high priestess of Lemurian crystal healer. Yes. So can you tell us about that? So that is a training that I took um, called uh, Letios. And they have crystals that are infused uh, with by the archangels. It's a period of three days. They're at um, a lake in Switzerland. And the, the it's a special room where the angels in, and infuse the crystals. And they're very powerful crystals. And so we use those as sort of, I guess, training wheels to higher vibrational states. And um, I'm wearing one now. This is one of them. But the the intent the the goal is to not depend on the crystal to to teach people higher vibrational states, but um, calling in the archangels and the and the masters who are always available to us for us. They are a part of us. And uh, yeah, so yeah, can well, can you tell us about because archangels uh, particularly uh, come through in, in some forms of uh, uh, spiritual regression healing that I do. Uh, so do you uh, engage with them? Do you uh, have uh, a connection as in your mentioned channeled wisdom at some points? So uh, or is it uh, you know setting intentions and uh, what kind of interaction or, or uh, what, what happens with the archangels? Yeah, so I mean, I think anyone can can do it. I do have a special connection to, I think, particularly Archangel Michael, uh, Yeshua, Mother Mary, um, High Priest Melchizedek. Um, and uh, Metatron and Archangel Michael is wonderful for uh, healings and for removing any, you know, dark entities, any blocks, chakras, any, any, anything in your energy fields and, um, you know, taking the energy to where it needs to go in the universe and, and really clearing, clearing you. Um, however, I do believe that that's, uh, something that through that you learn to attain for yourself you learn that you also have that power within you and that's my goal is to is to get people to that point to call in the archangels when we need to but that we also can raise our vibration and set these intentions and clear ourselves um, but uh, and then as far as channeled messages so i was uh, meditating and the information about vibration and how vibration is so important and about the frequency of love came to me uh, channeled. And I had never heard of any of this stuff before. This was before I was interested in it or looking it up. And so I would meditate on this and I would think, wow, that sounds like really makes so much sense to me. And then I would look it up and find that it's written about and that this is known to people that are in this field. And it solidified my belief in my knowing that meditation and your connection to your higher self and your connection to source is real. It, it occurs and, and you get there by going within and by quieting your mind. And yeah, 
Basically, one of the reasons I bring it up is Archangel Michael in particular is one that is a great friend to anyone who does spirit releasement therapy work as a modality. And I actually believe that is, I think that's how you might have first found me in the first place. I think yeah. you said that you took my spirit releasement therapy course from my website or on Udemy and, and connected with it there. So I'd be curious, uh, you know, what was it about that course? And then we can get into some of the details about what dark energies are. So in the hospital, I've worked a lot with people with addictions and, um, you know, you just see a thought pattern and wonder how, how, how they've gotten to think that way and how they're so stuck in it. And when they, they try to, they try to get out of it and they can't. And so you, I, I wondered, you know, do they have some type of spirit attachment or, and, um, so that's how I sort of look things up and came to your course and looked into it and was, and was very fascinated by it. And in, in, in my class, uh, the angel class, the Lithios class that I took, we also learned about spirit releasement with Mark Archangel Michael. Okay. So that, that course that you gave was just absolutely fascinating to me. And that's something I definitely see myself doing. I would really love to, um, work in that field, which I know it scares a lot of people just like, you know, talking to some of the people that have drug addictions uh, when they're acting in a very manipulative way, it scares a lot of people. Um, and I tend to come from a very composition of being loving, but being able to set a boundary. And that's where the spirit releasement really intrigued me and really, you know, affected my heart that that's something I really would love to be able to help people with. Okay. Yeah, um, be curious on your perception. And so you've got on one hand, maybe some people are averse to it, like afraid of the spirit side. But implicit in that is the the idea that spirits are real and powerful in some way and therefore worthy of being afraid of. On the other side, you've got, oh, sweetheart, you believe in spirits and ghosty wasties. Like, what? No, I'm not scared of it because I don't believe in it. It's, <laughs> it's nonsense. Like, okay, you've got a ghost uh, in uh, air quotes. Um, but so people can come at it in either way. And so, in it, which fair enough in some ways. And honestly, if people were dismissive of it, it would make them less fearful. Cool, because then they're able to research it and go into it a little bit more and then what they may find. But, you know, it's even the same thing with past life regression or spirits. People, with you could take it as a metaphor. Yeah, You don't necessarily have to take it as a literal thing. Uh, right. Or as a teaching story that there's giving a spiritual right. lesson. Was I actually in the Maria as a historical real place, you know, or, you know, is this uh, the, the people could take that, that approach. Uh, and so then with spirits, people could say, you know, a dark entity that is a spirit or a ghost or a, a part of a demon. Well, that's actually really just a manifestation of anger or fear, you know, and then we've like put it on some kind of cultural dressing or something like that. So uh, is that how the, the purely scientific people see things? And, and what's your view? Do you think, well, there could be a bit of both in it, but actually I think there's probably a literal element or what do you think? I think that is how most people in the science world would see it, that it would, that it's a metaphor. My view is, um, I don't know that there's a way I, I can, I can know, but I, Think that there are dark entities that's my that's my belief that's my impression 
Um, now, is that why people are acting like that all the time? I, I don't know. I don't think you can tell until you actually go into hypnotherapy. And then again, yes, you know, you have to decide whether it's a metaphor or not. But to me, I do believe that there are there are dark entities and it reminds me a little bit of star Wars. Uh, and you, you speak about this beautifully in the course. I think that um, we all are of the light. We've lost. Some of us have lost our way right. and we can get them to remember the light. I mean, it's their choice, but we can get them to, to remember that they're love and light. Yeah. Okay. So the, when you're working with that, the archangels and the, the healing crystals, are you uh, finding uh, what kind of dark energies are you finding? Is it a sense of like a discomfort, uh, some sort of block, but it is sort of more physical or kinesthetic and isn't auditory? Or are you engaging in conversation with them? Is it, yeah. So no, I haven't, I haven't gone into conversation with them. And that may be if, if I, if I take that route and take them into hypnotherapy, that may come up, but now it's, um, uh, you know, you can use, uh, dousing of the energies and yes usually there's a block or i mean sometimes you find when you douse so so dousing you kind of go through um is there uh, a dark entity is there a dark program is there an implant a device and so you find these things and there will be people that have headaches and you find a device and you ask Archangel Michael to come in and uncloak everything and to remove everything and their headache is gone and they've had the headache for years. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. So for me, I would define that kind of thing as a simple releasement. And I think that's the majority of what a lot of releasement is and a lot of that can be done. And so I think maybe for people who are doing this kind of work and they find oh, I've done this a hundred times and it really works a charm 90% of the time, but then it might be, well, for those 10 that, uh, it's uh, it's not having the effect that it did for the other ones. It can often be because there's a complex releasement required, and that then does require, like the Star Wars, the trilogy, or in uh, in which you uh, really like dig in. You know, who is this person? Oh, he's evil. Oh, he's actually uh, a family member, uh, uh, and and then going through, uh, it's too late to save me. Or it's all of this kind of stuff. The, the whole narrative. Uh, and, you know, having the courage to face that one we thought of as dark, but having a loving forgiveness to them. And then that, uh, you know, gives them their redemption. And so, and there, I, and there, there are some cases where, um, again, it, 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 I think most of it is, uh, you know, like you said, the majority can be easily released, but then there are cases where it comes back. And I think that has to do with people being open to it. There being some type of connection, like, you said when you go into hyper hypnotherapy with it, um, what what you can see, and I do have a client that really could benefit from that. I think. Okay, yeah. I mean, actually, what you said is, you know, you can't really tell until you go into a hypnotic state, and for me, that that's a pretty uh, big thing. One one uh, trick with spirit releasement is people can be very quick to diagnose everything as a spirit. So I think you know, on one hand, it's like dismissing them completely. Uh, is uh, taking it a bit too lightly, but seeing it in everything is taking it too seriously. Yeah. And for me, I really need a lot of uh, overwhelming evidence until I'll even agree to do spirit releasement therapy. And it's just uh, because just by 
entertaining it as a possibility you're giving the, the suggestion that they have some sort of attachment and they may or may not and i'd rather actually uh, say that they don't and be wrong than say that they do and be wrong so as you're doing this uh, i noticed on your website as well you're offering uh, a, a couple of different types of sessions so you've got ascension sessions and you've got one-to-one -one true you transformation sessions so if people are you know, uh, resonating with the kind of things you're saying and are considering and thinking about work with you, uh, you know, what kind of sessions can they do and what's the, the difference or the focus in ascension and versus transformational sessions? So I think transformational sessions um, really uh, start people earlier on in their awakening process where they're just starting to be interested in it and wondering about um, chakras and meditations and releasing uh, feelings. And so that process more is um, finding out what, what they're having trouble with and how to take a more um, spiritual and vibrational approach to it and give them some tools to work on and uh, to start practicing and healing themselves in that way. And then the ascension is really, I think when people are sort of, uh, stuck on their path and feeling like they, um, don't maybe don't know their purpose or don't know how to progress in their purpose. And again, it's, it has to do with, you know, gathering the information about what's going on in their life and, where they may be stuck in terms of um, feelings, relationship patterns. And then um, sometimes from there, it becomes clear that they may benefit from some type of hypnotherapy. Okay. Um, so what kind of clients are you looking for? Are you looking for people who want to go to a psychiatrist, but want one that's cool and knows about spirituality? <laughs> or, or are you really... Uh, <laughs> sort of uh, not really doing dealing with the psychiatric stuff and more to the, the purely spiritual awakening kind of thing? So that's what's confusing about psychology today. And I might take my profile down because it's really a, a traditional, traditionally geared site for psychiatrists and psychologists. Okay. And it's probably not the best place for me to advertise. The, the clients that I'm looking for are people that are maybe wanting to get off medications at some point and are open to spirituality and using spirituality to uh, heal okay. and grow in their I, path. So. Okay. I also wanted to ask, like, within psychology, there is the field of transpersonal psychology. So yes. Can, can you uh, define what that means and, and what it means to you, your take on it? Um, okay. So transpersonal psychology is really seeing yourself in a context of um who i guess who you who who you've been along your journey and how that has affected you and so some of the things that you have been through and maybe um have learned patterns from or have been stuck in that so that that may have to do with um inner child work and joining these parts of yourself that are sort of holding different memories and different beliefs and, and joining them as one and, and loving them and um, accepting them and coming together to work together. 
Um, does that incorporate? Does that incorporate some things like you know? So inner child work as a and and regression to the past is to me classical hypnotherapy. So is transpersonal psychology a way that psychologists sort of do hypnotherapy, but call it by another name that sounds a bit more sciencey? Exactly. Or... That's what I think. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's my opinion. Okay. And is there a bit of a, a spiritual aspect to it as well? Because it could be also, you know, going beyond the sense of self and into more of a spiritual self. It, it Does transpersonal psychology get into that or, or not, not quite so much? To me, yes, it does. I don't know if everyone sees it that way, but yes, I think it does. Okay. Yeah. And is that is that something that's accepted in the, the conventional psychological world uh, and is popular or, or le less so? It's becoming more and more popular, I think. Okay. More and more popular. So, yes, I would say, yeah. Okay. Now, when I started out, no, I, I will see definitely a change. Yes. Okay. Interesting. And maybe, and maybe it's where I'm at and where I'm looking. So. Maybe it maybe it was more accepted before, but it seems to have shifted to me. Okay. So just going on from the transpersonal psychology, uh, is that something where you or people you know would use hypnosis as part of their practice? Is that something that you've used yourself or yes. Yeah, so I've used it and and that's actually I, I've seen other transpersonal psychologists use it sort of as a pre-talk to hypnotherapy. And then in the hypnotherapy, it tends to confirm w the work that you're doing as a transpersonal therapist. Okay. Um, okay. Well, what's so, the view yeah. of hypnosis in the psychology world? I mean, you know, they, we talk about Milton Erickson and Brian Weiss, but let's talk about Freud. He was doing hypnosis over a hundred years ago and picked it up and then did drop it. And I got a feeling that psychiatry kind of dropped it uh, significantly after that. But I also know Brian Weiss, before he got into past life regression, was doing hypnosis. And so how often would a psychiatrist or psychologist use hypnosis with their clients these days? So I don't see psychiatrists as much doing it, but I do see a lot more psychologists using it. More and more I'm seeing psychologists go into training for it and and using it in their practice. And, and I see them um, going into spirituality more, actually. So, you know. I think it's part of expanding our consciousness and, you know, it's, there's a, there's a snowball effect going on. So. Interesting. Well, bit by bit with patience, year by year, decade by decade, life by life. Looks like we're heading in a good direction. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts on the kind of uh, uh, the principles or insights that you've learned along your journey from science to the spirit? <laughs> uh, my main thought is the science of vibration translating into doing everything from your heart space and in unconditional love for the greatest good of all. And that means loving yourself um, also. So not putting yourself in harm's way, but there's no need to um, attack or be angry or react in certain ways that can lower your vibration and take you out of the frequency of love, which is detrimental to you and to people around you. So I would say unconditional love and, and unity. Okay. What would you say to people who are interested in uh, doing some kind of healing work for themselves, maybe as a, as a client of yours? Yeah, that I would be very interested into in working with people and to please feel free to contact me. 
uh, go through my website or, you know, texting me, calling me, I would be very interested in, in helping and uh, honored and privileged, really. Okay. Ken, what's the best way for people to find you, to contact you? So my website is um, oracle-md.com. And my phone number is in the United States is 813-333-9139. And that work number accepts both text and phone calls. Okay, great. Okay, well, uh, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful, honored, and privileged to be here with you, Mark. Okay, like you're awesome. Likewise. Thanks you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening or watching. To find out more about my guest, see the links in the description for details. If you're interested in having personal sessions or certification training in hypnosis or hypnotherapy, or regression to this life, past lives, between lives, or spirit releasement therapy, then visit my website, thepastlifeawakeninginstitute.com for details. Thanks so much for watching or listening and see you next time.